Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and founder of Boldside. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. Emily Bowen here, and I am the COO of Rare Kind. Today on the show, we're joined by Shane Hatton. Shane is a coach, a leadership and communication expert, an author, and a creative at heart. He uses his psychology and business background to help organizations develop remarkable people leaders. He works with some of Australia's most loved organizations to build healthy team culture. We are talking with him about his latest book he's just released called Let's Talk Culture. This episode is epic. You're going to love it. So let's get into it. Shane, good to see you in real life. In the real world. It's amazing. And I'm always so excited when I get invited back to a podcast because it's like, I, I know that I didn't completely ruin the relationship in the first time around, yeah, so I'm happy to be here. that and, you know, we couldn't find anyone better. So, <laughs> do you know what? We have to say, we have to confess, it's only you and one other person who's been invited back for round two. So That's amazing. Look, to be honest, and I should say as well, being here and recording in person, I jumped on a flight. I got up at 4am to oh be here. Goodness. There are very, very few people in the world that can get me up at 4am and on a plane and in Newcastle, so I'm happy to be here. Uh, we will add that to our resumes. We love it. Shane out of bed at four o'clock and on a plane. <laughs> For those of you who haven't heard of Shane or met Shane, let me give you a bit of a background. Shane is a coach, a communication and leadership expert and author, and you're a full-time strengths finder, which is like my dream career. <laughs> I love it. I love talking about strengths and I could honestly talk all day about it, but that's not why I'm here right now. And you're also a trained counsellor. Yeah. And most people don't know that. Um, I'm a horrible dancer as well, just as another <laughs> side fact. Um, but most people don't know that I'm a trained counsellor. I, I went and um, I saw a counsellor once and I thought to myself, this was not a very great experience. I feel like I could do that better. And I just went and studied a master's in counselling just because I wow. felt like I could do it better, which is horrible. Um, and everyone should see a counsellor and find a counsellor they loved. But it was just a random little side detour, but now it helps me so much in my life. And I think the good thing in your career is you've kind of merged psychology and business in a really beautiful and powerful way, which we're going to get to today because one of the things that you have just done is you've released your latest book, Let's Talk Culture, which I've got right here. It is pure gold. And so before we kick into all the questions, why did you write the book? Uh, I wrote a book on culture because, I mean, if I go back to when I first started my journey in leadership, um, most of my life I've been immersed in culture and I've never had to even have a conversation about what culture is. And then I found myself in a leadership role. My manager goes, okay, now you're a leader now. You're responsible for looking after the culture. I was like, yes, amazing. Thank you so much. Happy to do that. I walked away and I was like, what on earth is culture? <laughs> and, and what am I supposed to do with this thing? Like no one tells you what it is. And so I kind of wrote the book for me when I first took on my first leadership role. And I'm hoping that other people who find themselves either aspiring to leadership or stepping into leadership would go, oh my gosh, this is so helpful for me right now. And 
I think it's really good to call out I, when I read the book, I loved hearing about the target for this. So it's those aspiring people leaders. So if you're listening right now and your career goal is I want to get into a management role, leadership role one day, this is something that you really need to pay attention to this conversation today. The other group that is targeted in this book is those who are new to leadership, which is like exactly what you're saying. This is this world. Culture is such an intangible, weird thing. It's like the vibe. Like how do we, how do you build it when you're just starting out as a, as a leader? And it's for seasoned people leaders. It's something that you need to come back to time and time again, because culture is never done. It's not this thing that we finish with. It's something that we have to always be developing and focusing on. So Let's kick in. We've got some big questions. And the first one is, how do you define the intangible, weird, vibe, thingy culture? I know. It's hilarious. That there's this story that I used in the opening of the book and it's um, from a guy named David Foster Wallace. And he, he was this story became really popular in like the mid-90s. And it's a story about two goldfish and they're swimming along and having a conversation. And this older goldfish swims past them in the opposite direction and is like, uh, morning boys, how's the water? And uh, they kind of say hi, keep swimming along. And then they kind of pause and look at each other for a moment. They go, what the hell is water? And I love that kind of picture that it paints because they're two goldfish immersed in something their entire life. And all of a sudden someone brings their awareness of what they're a part of. And I feel like culture is one of those things as well. We spend most of our life and career immersed in it. And then someone goes, what is culture? And you go, well, I don't know. Like it's just... It's the vibe, it's the intangible thing that makes, you know, an organization great or potentially not so great. And I, I had a conversation with an academic and he said, if you want to start an argument, ask somebody to define culture. And it's true. Like I found after writing a book on culture, there are all these what I call culture crusaders that are trying to say, well, this is what culture is and this is what culture is not. And more often than not, when I talk to people, every person's answer to the question of how do you define culture is most of the time pretty accurate. It's an element or a facet of culture. It's just really hard to find some inclusive, holistic picture of what culture is. Now, we did some research for this book and it was a, a project that we rolled out with a research company called McCrindle. And we studied a thousand middle managers in Australia. And we asked them the question, can you define organizational team culture? And 97% said yes. And so what do you think naturally the next question was? You asked them to define it. Please define yeah. organizational <laughs> team culture for us. One in 10 could give us a consistent answer of what culture was. Most people just said like our culture's empowering or our culture's, you know, trusting or mm. it's good or things like that. One in 10 could give us an answer. And the hilarious part about it is that one in 10 had this consistent answer and it was so similar in the way that they described it. And I was like, that seems a little bit too coincidental. And so I thought to myself, what would I do if I didn't know the answer to a question? And I go and open up a new tab in my browsing and go to Google and say, define organizational and team culture. And their answer was the one that came up. So one in 10 people know what culture is. And most of those people just Googled the answer. And how important is being able to define culture to playing a role in culture in a workplace. Well, here's the challenge is most people think if I'm going to be a culture expert, I've got to have the best definition of culture. And the truth is it's more important that you know what to do with culture and that you know what makes up culture than it is about being able to have some clear academic definition of culture. And I think the most important thing is, is do you know what to do with it? Do you know how to shift it? Do you know how to influence and do you know how to change it? Rather than do you know how to give me the exact definition of what exactly it is? We actually had one of our listeners ask the question, you know, I'm a person in an organisation, I'm not a senior leader, can I actually influence culture or does that, I don't know if you call it responsibility, privilege, um, opportunity lie with senior management only? Mm. It's such an important question. We actually asked this in our research. We said, who's responsible for 
different aspects of culture. And we basically asked kind of five key areas, which was setting the culture, leading the culture, communicating it, living it out every day, and then addressing the cultural inconsistencies. And we asked them, who's responsible? Naturally, managers said, well, the leader of the organization is responsible for setting it. The C-suite or the executive team are responsible for leading it. The managers, we're responsible for communicating it, living it out every day and addressing all the inconsistency. And I look at that and I go, so much of what is actually shaping culture day to day is the manager's responsibility and role. Yes, we might have some sense of uh, not feeling a little bit helpless to be able to set an overarching organizational culture because we don't necessarily have control over policies and systems and some things that feel a bit out of our control. But every single day, a manager has the influence over their team and can, can shape the culture of their team and impact the culture of their organization. I know I'm often considering what is the impact of X decision that I'm about to make on the culture here? Does it help it? Does it hinder it? Uh, Does it do nothing? You know, is it a neutral player in some way? And that can be even when I'm replying to an email, you know, what language am I choosing? And if I'm coming from an initially emotional place and I write that first sentence and then I go, hang on, that doesn't actually add any value culturally, backspace. Let's just work out what do you want to achieve here? And what do I want to achieve when I'm writing that email is the response to the email, whatever that decision might be, or uh, that response might need to be. But it's also, what kind of place do I want to work? Yeah. And how does that one email in a mass of so many emails contribute to that culture? It's huge. And that is the mindset that I hope most people who are aspiring to be a leader and people who find themselves in a position of leadership would have. Most people are asking the question, can I shift culture through some big, you know, um, activity or what's the thing that I can do that can make the biggest amount of change in the short amount of time? And, you know, the World Health Health Organization talks about how do you, you know, build fitness. And they say, well, if you can just commit to doing 30 minutes a day of just consistent exercise, it doesn't matter what it is, just commit to the consistency of it every day, then you'll find that over time you improve. And it's the same with culture. Rather than asking how much time should I spend, we actually ask that question, how much time do people spend on culture? On the average for Australian managers, around three to four hours a month. And I always go, three to four hours a month makes it seem like it's a task that you need to kind of just focus on, maybe just block out an hour of your week in your calendar for culture. But actually culture is what you said. It's in how I respond to an email. It's how I address uh, conflict in our team. It's how I celebrate people. It's all the little things that we do. If we could just inject it, it could make such a huge difference. And so we're talking about this thing and how we define it, but what's the actual impact of culture on an organisation? Like what does it do to help hinder an organization succeeding. Yeah. I mean, when we ask people in our research, do you think culture plays an impact and has an impact in organizational success? And 99% of people agree culture impacts the success of an organization, which is which is absolutely true. And it shows up on a whole lot of different ways. The predominant way that we've heard from most people that culture impacts is on employee engagement. And I was in a workshop last week and someone said to me when I asked them to, to kind of give their definition of culture, they said, culture is how you go home at the end of the day. And I also thought there's a really nice nuance to how people view culture. And so you think about employee engagement, it's like, how do you go home at the end of the day? Do you feel energized? Do you feel drained? A big part of that is culture. So it impacts employee engagement. It impacts, you know, inclusion and diversity, psychological safety, all the real critical elements of the business get touched through the culture. And most importantly, attraction and retention. You know, culture is what gets the best people into an organization. It's also what keeps the best people in the business. One of the challenges I've found as a recruiter is it's really easy for organisations to say they have a great culture mm-hmm. and particularly through a recruitment process, I totally understand why candidates, people who are looking at, for work and considering 
you know, what's this place all about? Do I want to join it? Mm. Because I think we all join organisations with the good intention to stay. We don't join them planning to leave. Uh, Albeit we do have an episode on planning your exit strategy (laughs) from day one, little (laughs) side plug. But I I guess where I'm going with this thought is like, it's just, it's easier said than done. And and I'm not sure that there are many organisations or leaders out there who would sit in a recruitment process and say to a candidate, this is, we've got a pretty crap culture. Would you like to come and join us? But what have you seen or I guess have you got any commentary on if you're a candidate looking for, a, you know, an organisation that you want to trust, this is a place where I will feel engaged, where I will go home feeling energised, how can you try and work that out? Such a good question, especially for people who are looking for an organisation. You're right. No one's going to sit down with a recruiter and they're going to go, hey, look, great place, you know, great systems, culture's a bit off. But um, but you should definitely want to join our business. Um, I mean, I mean, maybe you've got an honest person who's sitting in front, but most people aren't going to say that. And so, as an employee, a future prospective employee, you've got to know what questions to ask to get insights into the culture. Um, and so, Gallup did this great research that basically said the top twenty percent of candidates are asking questions about culture, whereas most other candidates are asking questions about paychecks and perks and benefits. And so, it not only when you're asking these questions do you get insight into the potential business, you all also get to demonstrate that you yourself are a good potential hire to the business because you're thinking about cultural impact. And so we asked the question of managers across Australia in our research, what do you think are the things that help build culture within an organization? And if we look at their responses, we can tailor some of our questions to learn a little bit more about it. So the number one thing people said is, um, is there a sense of strong collaboration and teamwork in the team? So as a prospective employee, you'd want to be asking questions like, tell me about a recent project that you've worked on. What was it like for you? And as you listen to their responses, start thinking, do they leverage the strengths of each individual? Do they appreciate the diversity on our team? Do they work together to accomplish goals? You can get a bit of an insight to how they collaborate and how they work together. The second thing was that leaders are visible and approachable within the business. So you could ask questions like, so how often do you hear from the senior leaders in the business and in what formats and about what? So you could ask you know, that question and then listen to how frequently they hear. If the person says, oh, we don't hear from them very often, you, chances are the culture is going to be one that feels a bit of an us and them or a bit of a disconnect. And so you can learn about that. Even a bit hierarchical. A bit hierarchical. Yeah. You you basically go, well, I we're probably just trusted to do our own thing in our local context, right? There's, I, I love in that, that you're really encouraging us to turn up and turn the tables yeah. at an interview. And I'm hearing there, you're essentially asking what we call a behavioral interview question, which we're usually facing as the candidate. Yeah. And we're just saying, no, no, you can ask those as well. And we would expect that same level of evidence mm-hmm. from the prospective employer. I love that, M. even just because as interviewers, we're asking people to give those examples to prove that they have what it takes to do the role. So in HR, that's what we're asking people to do. And you as a candidate want the evidence and examples of the culture, not just the recruiter who's saying to you, oh, it's a great culture here. Well, tell me why. Tell me what happened. Tell me the last time you guys got all your staff together and what did you do? Yeah. So many – and I often think about the social – side of work where culture is really clearly evidenced and it's like how how does this team connect socially how do they get together I love what rare kind do because I I love rare kind so much M's <laughs> workplace because they do lots of amazing celebratory celebratory is that a good word that, Probably that is a word. a word I think you stumbled <laughs> through it but it's it's a That's word basically me through life <laughs> stumbling through and and those celebration moments, those social events where people connect is such a 
beautiful way to see. It's like the litmus test of, of how healthy the culture is. Now, we want to get to yeah. some really good practical advice. And the book is The How-To Guide for Culture. Yeah. And there's so much. That's a big call, by the way. I was about to say, yeah. wow. Look, my intention <laughs> for huge. writing it is the language I use that I is that I want it to be the go-to how-to. Now, saying it's the how-to guide <laughs> sets it up, but I, I think let's just go well, with it. I'm all about manifesting. So <laughs> if we it believe it, it will be true. That's right. Thank you. I appreciate and that. And it, it, there is so much practical goodness in the book. And so that's why I'm saying that because I've read it and I love how many, like I've, I, okay, so here's the funny thing. Like if you look in, I have got the crayon because I couldn't find a pen when I was reading it. I've got one of my kids' crayons. This is definitely mum life conversation. <laughs> I know. I'm like, so are you, yeah, are you a woman? starting a business or are you a mum with access to crayons? Well, like if I look at well, this. I'm looking at your pictures here. You've drawn a really happy family and the crown <laughs> over here. It looks really nice. So I've got my yellow crayon because I didn't want to like ruin it with a pen, but I did go through because I was like, there's so many good questions to be asking. And I want to let people know, I guess the framework of how to use the book because we go through you, we, I'm already like, we, that's not me. Shane I'll add your through. name to the co-authoring yeah, section really of this. Please, I've really got a high there. ownership. So Shane, at, through all the research that he has done, has gone through these five conversations that leaders can have to really develop the culture they want. And I want to talk about a few of them. We want to hit you with the questions to really dig into well, what can we do practically and First one we want to focus on is this conversation about expectations. Yeah. So talk to us about that. What does that look like? Why do we need to be setting the expectations when it comes to culture? I mean, expectations are huge, right? If you think about your own life, we often don't uh, don't always think about it or focus on it, but we all carry around through life a set of unspoken expectations and they're expectations of ourselves. I mean, if you think about, if you're listening, you think about your expectations that you have of yourself and they're often really critical, right? Most of our self-expectations don't let other people down, don't fail, don't, you know, all those things. We have expectations of ourselves. We have expectations of other people and um, we show up into the world with those. And we also have these kind of big global expectations, right? So let me give you some examples. I expect of myself that I should, you know, always do well, that I shouldn't fail. Like, you know, all those things, those harsh expectations. I expect of other people, other people should be nice, that they should be kind, they should be optimistic, they should be trusting. And then the, of the world, I, I think that the world in general should just be a happy place or the world in general should be kind or loving or, you know, all those kinds of things. Now, we carry, it's almost like this invisible rule book internally of how other people should be based on our expectations. And the challenge is we never tell other people those expectations. We judge them according to it, but we never tell them. And so what ends up happening is whenever we're disappointed or let down, chances are good it was because you had an expectation of somebody else and they didn't live up to that expectation or they didn't meet it. And that shows up in a team, whether you're aspiring to leadership, you can see it as a team member or whether you're in leadership, you can see it with your team. So the simplest way of putting the expectation conversation is about making the unspoken spoken. What are the expectations that you have of me as a leader, that I have of you as a team member, that we have of each other and as an organization that we have collectively of each other? And how do we make the unspoken spoken? I imagine for some of us, we actually need to do some self-reflection first and a dive into what are those things that we're expecting? We've not yet spoken, but we also haven't yet acknowledged with ourselves that they are really important to us. Yeah. 
I mean, it's like values, right? Like most yeah. people, you never have to consider values unless they bump up against something that challenges them. And you go, oh, why did that? Why did I feel that way about it? Why am I angry about this? Well, I don't know. It's because it just bumped up against a value. Same with expectations. When you show up to a team and your manager micromanages you and your work, you're like, why is this so frustrating to me? Oh, it's because I had an expectation that that manager would trust me and I don't feel like they are. Even though I've never explicitly said, hey, I don't want to be micromanaged or that I want your trust, I just feel like it's bumped up against that. So how do we work out... If I'm leading a team, I'm a new manager, how do I work out and clarify those expectations? Yeah, it's huge. So the first thing is to do is to invite people in your team into a conversation about those expectations. And you can ask all kinds of questions, which is what does uh, what are the ideal characteristics of our team? Uh, what does a team look like when it's operating at its best? What about you when you're at your best? How do you perform at your best? What are the things that you expect of me? What do I expect of you? And if you imagine like this Venn diagram between me, you and us, they're the three categories of questions, which is as a leader, what do I expect of you as a team member. As a team member, what do you expect of me as a leader and of your other team members? And then because we're most people who, especially new to leadership, you're not in the C-suite or the executive leadership team, you have to ask the question, what does the organization expect of us? And that's usually a really good place to look at the values of your business, the culture of your organization. And ultimately what you're trying to do here is go, what sits at the middle of all three of those that we can all agree that we want the same thing on? This is such an important call out and, you know, let's get Shelly's yellow crayon out and and do a circle around it. And that is that when we're talking about this expectation conversation, my mind started to slip into the trap of, okay, I'm the leader. I've got this responsibility for culture. How do I need to recognize my own expectations and communicate, clarify those with my team? But what you've just made me realize is it's not just about me. Mm. It is that Uh, circular or that 360 view of expectation where I need to understand what's expected of me as much as I need to communicate what I expect. Yeah, it's huge. And there's always kind of two parts to this, which is what do we expect of each other? And then the second part to that is, is this a helpful expectation to hold? Because most of the challenges with our expectations is that most of the time they're neither right nor wrong. No one necessarily has really toxic expectations of another person. Now, sometimes they might be the case, but like if you look at organizational values, it's like we want to operate with integrity. We want to do our best work. We want to be supportive of one another. No one's going to disagree with that. It's always just about asking, okay, what is that expectation? And is that helpful for us to hold that? So for example, you might've come from an organization where your manager was in the detail of everything that you're doing. And in that culture, it was perfectly acceptable and you loved it. Maybe you join a new team and you become the manager and your team don't want that. And it's like, well, actually, let's talk about our expectations. You you don't like that. That's not helpful. And then ask yourself, okay, can I change? Can I adapt? But what do we both want? Oh, we both want to make sure that we're working towards doing, delivering on outcomes. Okay, we can agree that we want that. Now let's talk about how we do it together in a way that feels aligned. Oh, that is such a good example. That is so helpful and insightful. One of the things I'm thinking as I'm hearing you talk this through is the challenge with, I see a lot of organisations, they have like their cultural values. So let's say a common one is integrity. Yeah, it's a big one. And it's like, yeah, integrity, it's a really important value. But you go into a culture and potentially that's that's really clearly on the wall listed, but the culture's toxic and doesn't really line up with what they're kind of saying they want to see in their team. So it has to be more than simply those words on the wall. And I know you talk about this clarification piece, like clarifying the behaviours. Talk to us about 
we've, we've, let's say our expectation is we act with integrity. Well, then what does that look like as we start to um, develop this out? It's huge because this is why I think organisational get values get a really bad rap. One thing about values or high levels of ideas, so we talk about layers of abstraction, which is something goes really abstract to really concrete. The advantage of going really high in abstraction, so if say things like integrity or, you know, um, I don't know, community. Or community or, you know, belonging, all those things, is that everybody can align around something that's really high and abstract, but it makes it really hard to live out. And so for the purposes of alignment, it's okay to have high level values or ideas, but for them to come to life, we need to bring them down through the layers of abstraction to make them more concrete. And so the clarification conversation, which is the second conversation, is about how do we make the invisible observable? So the idea is when you think about culture, culture has an unseen element and it has an observable element. The unseen element is things like your values and your beliefs and your meanings. And if I ask you, like, take me for a walk around the office and show me the beliefs or show me the values, what would you do? I mean, it's really hard to do, right? You can't point at your beliefs. No, I'd almost be like, well... Let me introduce you to Bonnie. Yeah. She's wonderful. She's <laughs> a wonderful person. Yeah. Bonnie, tell Shane about yourself. The embodiment of integrity and the embodiment of community, right? So you can't do that. And so this is where in our research we ask people, are your organisational values clearly communicated? And one in two said yes. But as you work down, we said, are your values, do they have clearly defined behavioural expectations? Um, and only 36% said yes. And then we asked, do your leaders demonstrate those in action? And 30% said yes. So it was very kind of... Of like decreasing. So what I would say about the making the invisible observable, clarification is all about asking ourselves the question, if I was to walk out of this room and live out the value that we're talking about here, would every single person know what to do when they leave the room? That's such a good question. Other thing that's got me thinking through and gee, my mind's wandering over all the like, because it's such a big conversation culture. Huge, huge. I'm watching, Shell, you're closing your eyes as you're thinking <laughs> what you want to say next. <laughs> I'm really, I, I want to go deep on this conversation. The thing that I've seen so many times is when it gets to performance reviews, right? And However your organisation does performance reviews, I guarantee you leaders want to assess culture. They want to assess your cultural contribution, but they struggle because they're like, again, let's use integrity. Okay, well, did you, you know, steal from the company? No. Okay, all good. But like, what are the, you know, what are the behaviours that you're saying these are the things? Or if it's community, well, the behaviours are, did you engage in our kind of um, charitable thing that we did this month with our local community group? And so defining the behaviours means that you've got something to assess against. Yeah. Most people get really caught up on how do we measure culture? And I always find the conversation about culture is, are you leading the team that you want to lead? Is it the way that you want to, the team to be? And if it is, then great, you can be happy. Like, why do you feel you need to measure it? And if it's not, then ask yourself, what's not there that I would like to be there? And the clarification has kind of three lots of behaviours, which is what are the behaviours that we want to eradicate? And so an assessment is to look around and go, what are the things that I'm observing that are not helping us build the culture of you know, integrity or whatever that kind of cultural aspiration is? What are the ones we need to eradicate? And how do we start to address that? What are the ones that we're already doing that we want to enhance, which is, hey, I I love that. I want to see more of that. And the last one is what are the behaviors that we need to establish? What are the things that we want to really prioritize? And I often say to people, if you could choose just three behaviors, that if we committed to those three behaviors over the next three to six months would help us become more like 
what our cultural aspiration is, what would those three behaviours be? And then how do we measure or not whether or not we're actually doing those things? And so sometimes you just you grab your team together and go, all right, there's 10 people on our team. Our cultural aspiration is to be a team that is innovative and it looks like this, this and this. On a scale of one to 10, how well do you think we're doing it right now? Get everyone's scores together, divide it by the number of people on your team and you might get a score of 5.4. Then ask yourself, what are the three behaviours that we can commit to over the next six months that would move us from a five to a six or a six to a seven? And then in six months time, come back, get everyone to do the self-evaluation again and go, where are we? We're, we're still at a five. Okay, those behaviours are not helping us. So what do we need to do about it? Like that's the simplest way that any team leader can measure the culture in their team. We should take a break. And when we come back, we'll move into confrontation and celebration and what those mean in and amongst this culture conversation. This word confrontation has really got me. So I'm really keen to unpack that, but we'll be back shortly. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we're back. And I've been hanging on for the confrontation piece of this conversation. This idea of tough conversations, which I, I don't think I'm the only one that the word confrontation conjures tough conversations for at work is something that most of us struggle with. So what would be your advice for leaders when they need to have those difficult conversations in particular about poor performance or performance that goes rubs against what we want the culture to be? Yeah, I think the thing that's really important to remember is that culture is averages, not aspirations. And let me unpack what I mean by that. If you think about culture, if we go back to the definition question, like at its simplest, culture is our norms. It's the it's the way we do things around here. It's, it's really what is the average, kind of some average of our team. So when you look at, say you've got a team of 10 people, if you've 
got eight people that are trusted, autonomous, empowered, then if you ask what the culture of the team is, you would typically call it the team's empowering and trusting and, you know, autonomous. But if you were to flip that and only two people are like that and eight people are not, then the average of your team is that you're not a culture that's trusting and empowering. However, culture can be aspirational in the sense that you can be working towards creating the culture that you want. And so if we're going to talk about culture as being averages, then every single day we're going to be coming up against behavior that doesn't align with the culture that we're aspiring to. And if we choose not to address it when we see it, we basically tell people that it's okay and that you can operate like that on this team. And so whatever we choose not to confront, we actually confirm by default. And so it's really important that we learn how to have effective conversations to address cultural inconsistency. I think it's Andrew Blotke, and I may have said his last name wrong, um, who says nothing we do is ever culturally neutral. Yes. And every interaction is also what you were saying before, Em, that every interaction we have is either adding or detracting from culture. And so I love what you're saying there of if we're not addressing behaviour that doesn't match our culture, then we are essentially condoning it and and saying, well, that's okay. And then that becomes... Well, that's the norm. Yeah. Uh, Todd Whitaker said this. He said, um, the culture of any organization is shaped by the worst behavior that the leader is willing to tolerate. Um, And we've all heard that other expression, which is like the, the standard that you walk past is the standard that you allow. Like we understand this, like we get it that if I just let things fester within my team, it grows and it becomes unhealthy and it becomes toxic. And yet we all still find ourselves going, oh, I don't really want to have that conversation because I don't really know how to address it because it makes me feel really uncomfortable. And I think that's that's the thing of we know that, that that's happening, but maybe we're not – sometimes I think it's how do you get close to the pain? Like how do I – instead of ignoring the pain of like poor behaviour on my team – And and one of the things I've seen so many leaders do, Shane, is they they withdraw. So they're like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it, but I don't want to have a conversation. So I'm going to remove myself from it, ignore it, allow it. And then, well, the people who pay for that are the high performers on your team. Like they pay the price. And it's like, are you prepared to walk walk by Mm. that standard and have your high performers on your team pay the penalty? Because that's essentially what you're saying when you do that. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, you want as a leader, especially a new leader, like while you're trying to get some rungs on the board and try to show, like get some wins, you want the best people on your team. And if your best people are leaving because they don't like the culture of your team, it actually comes back and reflects on you as a leader of the team. So it's actually really important we, that we address this. And I love this. There's this great um, illustration by Leanne Davies. She talks about when we don't address conflict, it's like carrying around debt. And she was saying that basically you have to pay back the principal sooner or later. You always have to pay back the principal, which is by having the difficult conversation. The only difference is that you then have to pay, pay the interest as well because you're carrying that around. So you leave it go for a week. You don't only have to have, not only have to have the difficult conversation, you then have to do a week's worth of worrying and stressing about it. And I'm thinking maybe some of that payback is that you lose a high performer, yeah. for example. Like then if you let that interest runs too far, you almost become like with this overdue bill and then the price just becomes even greater. Mm. And I'm sure there are other examples of that. I want to keep us moving through these different conversations, but just briefly, I feel like the confrontation conversation will be a lot easier if you've nailed the expectation and clarification conversations. Would that be Huge. fair? That's it's such a good connection. And that's ideally why I talked about expectation and clarification. 
most of the time as a leader, when we address conflict, we have to deal with the issue of, well, I didn't know that that was not okay. Like, I didn't know that that's what you wanted of me. However, if we've already set up that expectation conversation, which for example, we might say an expectation that I have is that we don't talk about each other behind their back. And we've made that really clear. So what does that look like in observable behaviors? It means if an issue comes up, we talk to each other. We don't talk about each other. Easy, right? So now when someone goes behind your back, you go, hey, can I have this conversation with you? Hey, look, I observed this and this is what I have, what happened. And we said as part of our culture that we together wanted to create this kind of culture. And I don't feel like that aligned with that. And the impact of that was this. What do you think about that? That makes the difficult conversation a whole lot easier. It's two people looking at an external reference point. Especially when you've engaged that team mm. early to contribute to designing the culture. Like yeah. when you you mentioned like getting everyone together and confirming what the expectations are and here's our agreed behaviours. Well, then you can go back and say, well, hey, remember we, we agreed to this? And yeah. so it's not a shock to them because they're like, oh, yeah, we did. And it's okay when there's stuff ups, right? Like we're always going to have those moments where we drop the ball on stuff, but it's it's that upfront piece of work is just so important for having that mm. tough conversation. Yeah, and I would say it runs in every direction, right? It's a team member feeling confident to have that cultural inconsistency conversation with another team member. It's them having that conversation with you and you having that conversation with them. The best part about a difficult conversation is, as a leader is when your team member feels fully confident to call you out on the cultural inconsistency. It can feel really harsh, but when you receive it well as a leader, you set the environment and the tone for other people to be able to receive things well as well. We talk a lot about culture as something that is really positive and we talk about words like integrity and community and they sound like places that we'd all want to be a part of. But there are times where you, I believe you can have a good culture but it might not be a fit for me. Yeah. And I think that's okay but I, I would love your comments on it. Is it okay if there is a good culture and it just doesn't feel right for me? It's huge. It's it's like most things. We're all so, so different. Like we are, as human beings, we're so completely different. And one of the things about culture to understand is culture is a collective conversation or a collective um, element, meaning that you don't have a culture and I don't have a culture, but we have a culture. It's often described as the way we do things around here. And we've got to recognize that we also have a way I do things and the way you do things. Culture is about agreeing on how do we want to do things. And that doesn't negate the way you want to do things. It doesn't negate the way I want to do it. It's just finding alignment of what we want together. So you might realize the way I do things just doesn't align. And I just can't align with the way that we want to do things here. And that's absolutely okay. And that's where you can kind of opt out and kind of remove yourself from that. But I was, as a leader, this is really important is I often say it's designed, culture is designed to be aligned at the core and inclusive at the edge, meaning that you don't want to just surround yourself with people who are like you. You do want to align over things that are really important. Um, and uh, let me give you a practical example for people who are listening. Someone was, I was in a coaching call recently and someone said, our organization is so fast paced and this new person's joined our team and they're struggling to keep up with the pace. And they said, we've been thinking about, is this person a good fit for our business? And she said, and then I reframed the question is what might our culture be able to gain from this person slowing down a little bit? And maybe this fast-paced business could just slow down slightly and it could be really good for us. So that inclusive bit is we actually need to leverage the differences of other people, but there will be times where you go, actually, it's just not a good fit for me. 
it reminds me, Shane, of when the, I think it was when I first started in HR. So I was probably like 22 and I went my first ever course on how to run an interview. And the guy who was running it um, said this thing of what you're looking for on every team is culture fit and team fit. And it's actually cool now to see that word being really, I guess we're not using that term anymore, culture fit, because culture fit implies we're all the same. It makes me visualise a puzzle. Like mm. you've got these puzzle pieces that have to fit perfectly together. But as we're speaking today, I'm starting to think, oh, that's not the case. You can have some softness to it. You can have some, yeah, it fits here, but maybe not there. And that can still work. Yeah. Culture is this dynamic, ever-changing thing, right? You bring somebody into a team and the culture of the team can change. You take somebody out of the team, it can change. Now, if culture's strong, chances are the people who join the team will kind of adapt to the team. Um, and if they don't, they tend to self-opt out. If they just go, the culture's so strong here, it's not what I want. It's, it's basically something that I'll just remove myself from. We often talked about culture fit, And then there was this progression where I'm hearing a lot of HR people talk about cultural contribution or culture add, which I think is a really great way of looking at it. How do we hire people for what they can contribute to the culture? And it kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier about, well, what am I doing every single day that's helping shape the culture? I was in a conversation with Professor Samir Stravastava, who's in um, the University of California at Berkeley. And he said, I would take it a step further and I would talk about what I would see as cultural adaptability, which is the next iteration. It's not just about can we hire someone who can um, adapt to who can um, add to our culture, but as our con- culture continues to change over time, can these people adapt with us and grow with us? And I think adaptability is probably more important than fit or even add. Yeah, that's such a great insight. We've got time for probably a couple more questions, Shane, and I really want to talk about the last one celebration. So conversations where we celebrate. How does celebration link to culture? Yeah, celebration is so important. People repeat and they replicate what they see recognised and rewarded. Like if you think about that as a a standalone, whatever you choose to celebrate on your team, people will do more of. So if you as a leader are thinking, well, what do I want to see more of in my team? Ask yourself, what could I identify and start to celebrate and reward and recognise? So confrontation and celebration kind of go hand in hand. I think if you just focus on the good, a whole lot of people they get a bit dependent, which basically means I'll only do good if I'm rewarded for that. And you don't want to create dependent people. Or I often say they come a bit deluded, which is basically I can't get anything wrong. On the other hand, if you're just addressing all the faults for people and just confronting negative things, you end up with a whole lot of depressed people. And so it's about finding the balance between how do I celebrate the good and also address the bad at the same time. It's reminding me of some of the stuff by Carol Dweck around and even as a parent with your children, not just celebrating the good things they do in terms of like outcome, but celebrating, oh, Sonny, you did such a good job working really hard on that painting. Like Mm. I could see you really focused and put a lot of effort into it. And I've tried to do that now to go, what am I celebrating? Am I celebrating um, her working hard on something, which is a growth mindset skill of Mm. effort and, and those kinds of things rather than just the outcome Yeah, it's huge. So I adopted a dog at the start of this year. His name's Panther and we're training him to become a drug dog through the Australian Border Force. He is the the cutest, he's the cutest dog that you'll ever see in your lifetime. And one of the things that we've learned about conditioning dogs, behavioral conditioning is basically whatever you reward, they will just repeat. And I want to draw the distinction between behavioral conditioning for humans and dogs, because 
the difference between my dog and a human being is my dog doesn't know why they're being rewarded. So when I go to the door and I say sit and I give my dog a treat, he goes, this is the greatest thing ever. And when I go back and he sits down, he just starts drooling from his mouth because he knows he's going to get a treat as a result of it. But why does he sit down? He has no clue why he's sitting down. He just knows if I sit down and get a treat. We don't want to create that with our teams. We don't want people who are doing good things, but they don't know why they're doing them. And then they just go, oh, I'll just get a reward if I do this. The important thing about celebration is making celebration intentional, make it meaningful. So when you celebrate somebody, go, this is what I want to say thank you for, but this is why. And the why is always linked back to the cultural aspiration. So let me give you an example. Let's say someone's staying um, back at work and they're working till eight o'clock every night to get their job done. And you as a team leader in your next team meeting go, hey, I just wanted to say thank you, Shell, for staying back till eight o'clock every night to get your work done. Here's some movie tickets, go out for dinner and enjoy. Everyone's going like, I'm getting my work done from nine to five, but obviously to get noticed in this team, I've got to stay back. Now ask yourself, would I want my whole team working till eight o'clock at night? Probably not. So you may be really, you've got to be really intentional about what you celebrate, but more importantly, why do you celebrate it? We've covered off on four of the culture conversations that you talk about in your book. We're not going to talk about the fifth one. We're going to leave people, you know, just wanting a little bit more. I certainly do. I'm off to read it myself. But do you mind just giving us a little teaser of what is the fifth piece of the puzzle in these conversations that we should go and learn more about so then we have this full understanding of let's talk culture? Yeah, it's about communication. And really communication is how do we bring the words alive? So how do we make it part of our everyday language? So when we're talking about our aspirations, we can have them as sticky notes on the wall. We can have them as words in a document, but what would it look like to bring those to life? And I've got some really clever ideas in the book about how you can help embed culture into your everyday language. Love it. So Shane, how can people find out more about you? Yeah, I I hang out on LinkedIn. I hang out on all social media under Shane M. Hatton um, and you can just visit my website at shanemhatton.com. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, how good to just do this conversation in person. It's an absolute treat. Every time I have a conversation, I feel like we could talk all day. And so thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, and as always, thanks for hanging out and we love your feedback. So if you enjoy the show, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 